Well, good morning, Timber Creek. How we doing? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Are you enjoying your summer? <laughs> okay. All right. It's been a rough one. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, tell the person next to you that, man, summer looks good on you. Good job. Man, we're even struggling with that part, man. Come on now. Come on. Well, online, Nacogdoches, we love you guys too. The guys in Dieball uh, at the Duncan unit and correctional unit, man, we love you guys. And summer looks good on you too. We can't see you, but we know it looks good on you. So glad to have everybody here today. And I'm excited. My name is Stephen Courtney. I'm one of the pastors here at Timber Creek. And, and I get the opportunity to share with you this morning and just excited to continue this great season of summer at the creek. Uh, I know it's been awesome, man. We've just been overloaded with the Yanceys over the last few weeks, haven't we? It's been awesome, man. Not only do we get Pastor Jeremy all the time, man, we are blessed with him as, as our pastor, lead pastor, one of the greatest communicators I, I've ever heard. And, uh, but then we got his brother a few weeks back, Jared, and then his mom and his dad. We just overloaded with some Yancey over the last few, few weeks, right? And it's just been awesome. It's been a blessing. And uh, I said in first service, I'll say it again, Pastor Jeremy, if you're watching and we know you're watching he's always watching and uh when he's out of town keeping an eye on us we love you we miss you can't wait to have you back soon and uh love our pastors you love our pastor man we love him we're blessed well guys i want to share with you this morning i'm gonna jump right in i want to share with you out of the heart of god uh, out of the word of God, and, and really the heart of our church, the heart of our pastor, Pastor Jeremy. So with that being said, I wanna speak this morning on this idea of the one. Everybody say the one. In fact, the title of this this morning is It's All About the One. Let's pray real quick and ask God to bless our time this morning. God, man, we love you. I I'm so thankful that I'm here, that all of us are here today, God, whether it's here at the broadcast location, or at Nacogdoches, or joining us online, or wherever else, Lord God, thank you, because we're not here by chance today, God. We're not watching by chance. We're here on purpose for a purpose because you wanna speak to us, and God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, that our hearts and our ears would be open to what you wanna say and do. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanna start this morning by sharing with you a little bit about my testimony. Um, if you're brand new to church, maybe this is your first time, somebody drug you here today, that's kinda of testimony means, that's a little bit of church lingo for basically telling your story. My story of how I came to know Jesus. And when you come to know Jesus, you have a testimony, a story to tell, which is always cool. And I wanna tell you a little bit about mine. I grew up in church. I grew up right up the road in Beaumont, Texas, a couple hours from here. And um, I was, uh, many of you know this, I was adopted. It was all planned before I was born. And I was adopted to these two amazing people right over here. If you can't see them if you're not at this campus. But my parents, uh, Larry and Pam Courtney, are here this morning. And uh, I couldn't have got adopted into a better family. And, 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 and they raised me in a wonderful home, a godly home. But they also raised me in church. And I'm so thankful for that. Thankful for their investment thankful for the investment of Cathedral in the Pines Christian Center in Beaumont, Texas, where I grew up. Spent almost 18, 19 years in that church and in Beaumont and Silsby, where I grew up. And, and um, I spent almost all my life there. And, um, but there was about two years that we didn't live there. And God had something different for our family. When I was 13 years old, um, I was in seventh grade. I was about, almost about the same age my son is right now, Landon. And I was 13. 
Life was good. I was in middle school, and uh, my dad took a trip up to Montana to visit a, a family that had originally been in Beaumont, and they had relocated to Montana. While my dad was there, he wasn't just fa visiting this family. He was also kind of interviewing for a job up there. I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that at the time. But he was up there interviewing, and he was kind of talking with this, this business about possibly going up there. And, of course, that week while he was there, they offered him a job. And my dad was just, each day he was working at this business and, and just praying and asking, God, what do I do? This is, this is exciting. We've, uh, we're a mountain family. We've gone skiing in Colorado through the years. Even though we lived in Southeast Texas, we would go to the mountains at Christmas. We love the mountains. And so to move to Montana, that would be super cool. But this is a pretty big move for my dad and for our family. And um, he was just praying about it, asking the Lord what we should do. And one day, I think the last day, as he was leaving that job, he was driving back to the house that he was staying with, with the family there. And as he's praying, he looks up and there's a big sign on the road, a billboard or some kind of sign that says, where God guides, God provides. And, and my dad just knew in that moment that that was the Lord speaking to him that, hey, you need to say yes to this position. You need to move your family to Montana. And so he came home the next day or so and he sat down with me, and I remember him telling me, hey, we're going to move to Montana. And uh, love the mountains and all that, but uh, I wasn't okay with that. <laughs> I was like, mountains are cool, but this is home, right? I mean, I was 13. I mean, life was good. This is where all my friends are at, my best friend, my school, my, my church that I had been in all my life. I just started the, the youth ministry at my church. I had all these buddies, and I was not excited about this move. I, I did not want to move. And I don't know if you know it, but Beaumont, Texas, and Billings, Montana, they're a little far from each other, and uh, they're nothing alike. And I've got this cool accent that at least I think it's cool, but I'm going to show up in Billings, and I'm going to be talking all different and weird, and everybody's going to make fun of me, and I'm going to have to make new friends. And, and and, and, and they don't say Coke, they say pop. And I don't know what that's all about. Like, I'm gonna have to learn all this new lingo. And I'm not just, I'm just real not sure about this big move to Montana. But we moved and we left and we went. And after we got there, pretty quickly, my parents found a church for us to attend. And it was First Assembly of God in Billings, Montana. And you know, I, I, I think it was my first time ever to go to the youth ministry on a Wednesday night for the middle school and high school students. And, and, I don't know if I went by choice or if I was forced to go by my parents, but it was in October. It was the very end of the month. It was, it was kind of like a hallelujah harvest party. You know, you can't say Halloween around church. And so it was like this big party thing that they were doing for the youth ministry. And that was the night I went really nervous, really scared, not knowing anybody. And it was so cool because I walked in and there was all these middle school guys that were my same age, same interest, and immediately connected with these guys. And they became some really great friends of mine while we lived there. And some of them are still some friends of mine to this day. And um, that night we were having fun and, you know, I'd grown up in church. And I loved the Lord and, and been around church, been in a Christian home. But man, when the youth pastor got up to speak, and he was this big guy from New York. He wasn't from Montana. He was this big guy from the streets of New York. His name was Dave Mawalo, and he had the big, strong New York accent, and he was very charismatic and, and kind of just evangelistic style of preaching. And man, it was a powerful message that night, October 30th, 1991. And I remember that night, and, and he just presented the message, the message of Jesus in such a way that I was like, man, I... I need to give my life to Jesus. You know, I've grown up in church. I've been around a great family, but 
it's time that I make that, that real decision to say yes to Jesus and invite him into my life. And so that night is the night that I really, truly gave my life to Jesus and surrendered my life to him. Well, moving forward that year, as we lived in, in Montana, we fell in love with that church. You know, the church was a blessing to my family, a blessing to me. It was incredible. And I just was hungry for God as a 13-year-old kid. I remember going up to the church because my mom worked there, and, and I would just try to hang out with that youth pastor anytime I could, could do it and ask him questions about God and about the Bible. And that summer, we, we went to, to youth camp, just like a lot of our teenagers just went to youth camp. Where's our teenagers at? Did you enjoy? Yeah, there we go. They just went to youth camp, and God did some amazing things. Well, I went to youth camp that summer, and I had to suffer for Jesus way up in northern Montana, up in the beautiful mountains near Glacier National Park. It was horrible. It was so ugly. No, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And, and I went up there for youth camp because that's just what we would do, right? And, and, and I'm there all week long, Monday through Friday. And I remember that Thursday, I went to dinner that night and ate some nutritious, very good camp food. Where you at, students? Camp food's never good, it's always nasty. But I ate that food, and then I went and played some basketball right before the service started that night. And if you'd have walked on that basketball court and found this short little 13-year-old kid from Southeast Texas playing basketball, and you would have walked up to him and said, hey, what do you wanna do when you grow up? I probably would have said, oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a baseball player. I don't know. I don't know what my answer would have been back then. But that night I went into the service, and honestly, I don't remember anything that the speaker spoke on that night. But I do vividly remember when the service was ending, we had this powerful prayer time and worship time and altar time. And I remember just getting very emotional because I felt like the Lord was bringing to my mind family members and people that I knew that didn't know Jesus and I just began to get overwhelmed about it. And I thought, man, I just want them to know Jesus like I've come to know Jesus. I want them to be found just like I was found by Jesus. And, and, and I really felt like God began to, not with an audible voice, but I just began to feel like God was saying, you know what, Stephen, I want you to be in ministry. I want you to pursue full-time ministry for the rest of your life. And I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. What is this all about? And I, I didn't say much. I just kept praying. And then as the service ended, we began to gather as an entire youth group in the back of that worship center that night. We were in a big circle, and we were praying for each other and just kind of sharing what God had done in our lives that night. And our youth pastor was walking around praying for each of us individually. <clears throat> and in front of the whole group, he walked over to me, and he said, and God, thank you for calling Stephen to the ministry tonight. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. I didn't tell anybody. How did you know about that? God, what, did you tell him that? Like, what's going on? And I knew, and some of us, I guess, just need that extra confirmation when God speaks. I needed to know that. And from that day forward, at 13 years of age, I knew I was going to go into full-time ministry. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that moment at that camp. Why am I telling you all this? You know, we were only there a year. I was mad when we went to Montana, and then I was real ticked off when we left because I fell in love with it. And I was mad. And we went from Billings, Montana, all the way to Lafayette, Louisiana. I don't know if you know, but those are real different too. <laughs> and so within about a 24-month span, we had gone from Beaumont, Texas, to Billings, Montana, to Lafayette, Louisiana. And then when I started ninth grade of high school, we were back in Beaumont, in my hometown, back at my home church. And so God did a lot in those two years. And I'm telling you this because I'm thankful for this man right over here. Because if it wasn't for my dad taking that one step, just one step of faith and obedience to say yes to Jesus and say, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna move my family up to Montana. 
If it wasn't for that one step of obedience, I probably wouldn't be here today. And I'm thankful for that, Dad. And I love you for it. And I love your leadership to our family. And, and it's all about that one, right? It's all about the one. I'm so thankful that my dad took that one step. It's amazing how God can use one moment. It's amazing how he can use one step of obedience like my dad took in that moment. It's amazing how he can use one prayer, one act of random kindness, how he can use one conversation. I love how he can use one group or one group leader. I'm so excited that we're gonna have groups again this fall. I'm excited about that because that's, we won't do life alone around here. And, and groups give us the opportunity to get in connection with other people and community with other people when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when life is just being life and we need other people to lock arms with us. Sometimes it's, God just uses that one group, that one group leader. It's amazing how he uses that one next step for some of us. It's amazing how he uses that one dream team member in our life. And it's amazing how he uses one church. You know, the Bible even reminds us of this idea in, the, in a passage I wanna read this morning. In Luke chapter 15, in the New Testament, we find in this chapter three parables. In other words, three like metaphors and stories that Jesus would use to communicate what he wanted to say to his audience and kind of relate it to real life. And he uses three, and it's all about the power of one in these three parables. One of them is about a one lost coin that's been found. The other one is the famous story of the one lost son, right? The, 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 uh, the son that had went away and, and uh, the lost son. But the third one, is, and the one I want to talk about this morning, is the one about the lost sheep. The one lost sheep. You know, what's really cool about this chapter and about this passage is many uh, scholars believe that Luke chapter 15 is actually the greatest picture of the gospel inside the gospel. See, the gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They encompass the, the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth and so many incredible things there that we learn about. And um, but Luke chapter 15, many believe that it's the most powerful and, 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 and greatest picture of the gospel inside the gospel. Isn't that cool? But let's read together. Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. It starts off, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners. I want to stop right there. The tax collectors were not good guys. Nobody liked the tax collectors because they came around to collect the money, and, and a lot of times they were crooked guys. And if there was any little bit of extra, they weren't going to give it back to you. They were just going to pocket it, and, and, and tax collectors were kind of outcast in the community, and, and nobody wanted anything to do with them. And, and it says here, now the tax collectors and sinners, they were doing what? They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I love this because it's almost like Jesus is having a small group. It's almost like he's having a group, and what's cool is that Jesus chose to have a small group with who? Not the religious people, not the good people, so-called good people, right? Not the ones that seem to have it all together. No, he wanted to have that group with who? The broken and the hurting and the lost, and that's what groups are all about. That's why I can't wait for groups to come back this fall. But the Pharisees, it goes on to say, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. What does that mean? What does that mean, muttering? Basically, they were talking behind Jesus' back. They were whispering. They didn't think Jesus heard, but he heard them. He's Jesus, right? He hears everything. 
And they're kind of talking, they're like, what is Jesus doing? Can you believe this? Look who he's eating with. Can you believe that he's eating with those people? I would never eat with those people. I'd never be caught seen with these people ever. And yet Jesus is eating, uh, eating a meal with these people. So they're muttering. And they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So by eating with them, this shows an intimate association that Jesus is having. And you know what? He didn't care about that, all that stuff. He just cared about the hurt. He cared about the broken. He cared about people. He didn't care about the ones that were living this legalistic lifestyle and, and it was all about religion and not relationship. He cared about the hurting and the broken. The Pharisees would never, ever do this. They thought by eating with sinners that it would contaminate them, just being around them. And that's when Jesus tells them this parable the crazy thing is, you know, Jesus hears them muttering behind his back, but he, he decides to give them this parable, this little story. He says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? It's this question that he throws out there, right? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. How many of you are thankful that when Jesus found you in your mess and in your junk, that he didn't point his finger back at you and say, how dare you? What's wrong with you? No, he joyfully picked us up and he put us on his shoulders and he loved us and he held us, right? That's the God that we serve, not a great judge up in the sky, right, that, that's looking down on us. No, he's a loving, loving shepherd who picks us up, puts us on his shoulders. I love that picture. It's amazing. Then he goes on to say, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. In other words, they're throwing a party when the sheep was found. They threw a big old party. They got excited just like it, it happens in heaven, every time someone who doesn't know Jesus says yes to Jesus, there's a big old party up in heaven. And he finishes it with this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So this is a story of the power of one. It's all about the one. And I just love how Jesus tells this story. And then, and then he says, doesn't, doesn't he leave the 99? You see, to Jesus, as he's talking here, to him it's so obvious. Wouldn't you do this, right? Wouldn't you leave the 91? It's almost like, or the 99, it's almost like the, the tone he's using is, well, of course we should do this. Of course this is what we're supposed to do. Of course we would leave the 99 and go for the one. And I have to stop and ask myself, would I do that? <laughs> do I always do that? I mean, you got 99 over here, that's not too bad, you know? One out of 99. If I'm taking a spelling test and I make a 99 out of 100, I'm feeling real, real good. <laughs> I was not the best student, you know? I was that D equals diploma kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? So if I got a 99, I'm feeling real good. But Jesus didn't see it that way. The one, the one is important. That one is lost. Wouldn't we do this? Isn't it obvious, he says? See, this summer, uh, it marks 20 years, around 20 years of uh, that Ellie and I, my wife and I, have been serving in full-time ministry. Can't believe it's been 20 years. It's been amazing. 
We, uh, we've been blessed to experience some amazing things, serve at some incredible churches like right here at Timber Creek. And uh, we've served in different cities and states. All three of my kids have been born in three different states, Texas, Kansas, and Michigan. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of, ra- that, that sums it up right there. Uh, different cities, different states. We've even lived in a different country on a different continent and served in, in France for a couple years. Seen some amazing things. Got to do ministry in a lot of amazing places. But can I share something amazing with you this morning? Can I just tell you that Timber Creek Church is special? <laughs> is it not? I mean, it is special here, amen, you know? It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's amazing what God's doing here. We are all blessed to be a part and, and witness what God is doing right here in Deep East Texas. And guess what? There's more to come, guys. Are you excited about that? There is more to come. God is not finished. God's just getting started. And, and we have an incredible pastor that has a crazy vision, and we just try to keep up as a staff. Man, he's just running at a crazy pace all the time. But, man, we love it, and we love the vision that God has given Pastor Jeremy. But it's amazing that we get to do that. It, it's amazing what God can do when we all come together each week to worship like we have this morning on a Sunday. It's amazing what can happen when we get together for community engagement and we serve together. It's awesome. But can I share an amazing number with you this morning? You ready for this? It is July, right? We're halfway through the year. And um, you know how many salvations we have experienced here at Timber Creek Church this year in just half a year's time? You ready for this? 555 people have said yes to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. 555, that's exciting, that's, that's awesome. 55 people, 555 people have crossed over from death to life and experienced powerful life change because of Jesus. And you know what I love even more about that and about this number, 555, is that let's base it on the math equation that we find in Luke chapter 15. It's not 555, it's one times 555. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? It's one person every single time. It's about the one. It's about that one lost sheep. And it's one times 555. One, one, it's you, it's me. We've all been the one. And because of Jesus and him leaving the 99 to come and save the one, man, I'm grateful for that. And that makes that number even more powerful and even more amazing. God doesn't count by normal math. It's not 5, 10, 15, 20. No, it's one. One, one, and every single one is significant and important, just like you, just like me, and there's so many more out there. And as we're talking about the church, I love the vision and the mission of our church. The vision being we are called to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. If that doesn't speak to Luke chapter 15 and the lost sheep, I don't know what does. I love that. Right? We want to see more and more community destinations where more ones can come to know Jesus. The mission being that your God-given potential is our mission. Your, your God-given potential, my God-given potential. I love that clear mission for our church. But we're also guided by great values that we have as a church. Like, it's a church that anyone can come to. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. And all my mess and all my mix, you know, mess-ups, uh, I'm a mess, and I'm glad that I can come and be a part of what God's doing here, right? We want more for the next generation. That's another value. We've got a 
big number of kids that are coming back from kid, kids camp today, this afternoon. We want more for them. We want more for our teenagers, right? That's a value. That's something that we value here at Timber Creek. We won't do life alone, right? Save people, serve people. We have all these values, but I wanna to speak to one for just a moment. And it's this one. Empty seats are a big deal. That's a value here at Timber Creek Church. I want you to look around you, next to you, down your road. Do you see any empty seats? Yeah, we all, we've got some empty seats in here. Those are a big deal to us. So what are you saying, Pastor Stephen? Are you saying that numbers, are numbers a big deal to Timber Creek Church? You better believe they are. Well, wait a second, I knew it. I, I just knew it. It was just big church in Lufkin. You guys are just about the numbers. Yeah, we are, the right numbers. We're about these empty seats. I'm about those two empty seats right there because when they're empty, there's one out there that could be in that seat. There's one that's lost. There's one that hasn't experienced the life change, the power and power changing life change that I've experienced through Jesus that could be in that empty seat. So that's a big deal, right? So yes, we are about the numbers. Empty seats are a big deal. And I pray that it would be a big deal for all of us not because we want to be the biggest church in town or, oh, look at us. No, 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 no. It's about the one. It's about that one person that could be sitting in this seat, that coworker, that family member, that person that I continually am praying for and want to see them come to know Jesus. Empty seats are a big deal. And just remember this. It's in your notes. Every number has a name. Every number has a name. It's not just a number. Everyone has a name, your name, my name, right? And every name has a story. Every name has a story. Just like the story I shared about how God has touched my life, and there's so many incredible testimonies probably in this room of what God has done in your life when you said yes to him. Are you perfect? No, none of us are, and we're still becoming all that God wants us to become, but yet God continues to write that story, and it's beautiful, so every name has a story. And finally, every story matters to God. Guys, your story matters to God. And these empty seats are a big deal because there's stories out there that matter to God. And we wanna see these seats filled with people. Again, not for numbers sake. Not to say that we've got a full room just because we've got a full room. No, it's because every empty seat is a big deal. It represents somebody, it represents a name, a story, and a story that matters to God, amen? Well, as we finish up this morning, I've got four reminders about the one that I just want to talk to us about real quickly as we get ready to uh, go out and start a new week. The first one is this. Number one, all are equally loved, but the lost are the priority. All are equally loved, but the lost are the priority. How many of you have ever lost something? Whew. At Christmas, this last Christmas, we were going up to Springfield, Missouri to see my wife's family, and uh, somewhere between Texarkana, Texas, and Conway, Arkansas, which is just north of Little Rock, I lost my wallet. Oh, it was horrible. You ever lost your wallet? It's a sick feeling, right? We stopped at Chick-fil-A in Texarkana because, bless God, you gotta have some Chick-fil-A, right? It may have fallen out there, I don't know. We called them, they didn't see it, and then we stopped a couple places on I-30 between Texarkana and Little Rock, called them, even called the 
Texas Highway Patrol for, or not Texas, but Arkansas Highway Patrol. And they even swung through where we thought we, we had stopped because Audrey had gotten sick. And we thought, well, maybe it fell out there. They didn't find it. But we got to Ch- uh, Chipotle in Conway, Arkansas, because my son's got to stop at every single Chipotle there ever is on the road because it's his favorite place to eat. And they went inside, and I'm looking for my wallet, and I just start to have that sick feeling, you know what I mean? And I can't find my wallet. And dadgummit, I had Christmas money in there. Like, I had, of course, my cards in there, everything. And I had to do the whole thing. I had to call the bank and cancel everything. It was horrible. Got it all straightened out. Nobody took anything from our account or anything, was able to get everything done. But, man, I don't want to go through that again. How many of you ever lost a child? Woo, yeah, no shame, you did it, you're raising your hands, right? I can honestly say I've never lost one of our children, but my wife, who's not here, and so I'll tell this story because she's not here, she's at kids camp, she did lose one of our children right here in Lufkin. Uh, we had just moved here, I think, our, our three kids, Natalie, Landon, and Audrey, uh, they were much younger, and they were all at Walmart with mom, and uh, she looked up at one point, and Landon was gone. Landon was no longer with them, and he had ventured off somewhere. Who knows? We didn't know what happened. Obviously, the worst things began to run through her mind. She did what, man? She was like, shut it down. I mean, she was like, let's shut the front doors, the back doors, lock this place down. Landon is lost. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's going on. We've got to find my son, Landon. And so um, it was a pretty scary moment. It ended pretty quick. They found him, um, and uh, I picked on him because he was sitting in first service here, but he's not here to pick on, but they were able to find him and everything was fine but for a short time mom was freaking out right and she could have been like well we still got two out of the three we got Natalie and Audrey that's pretty good right you know no no she wasn't gonna do that right all all three kids are loved equally right and in that moment Natalie and Audrey are loved just as much as Landon but Landon is the priority because he's lost and we got to find him right and, and so I say that to say this, that God forgive us for losing sight of that because that's the same way God operates. He loves all of us equally, right? He doesn't love you any more or less than he loves me or anyone else on this planet, right? He loves all of us equally, but the lost are the priority, right? They're that sheep that has gone astray and man, he's gonna leave the 99 in the sheepfold and go find the one and they are a priority. You were a priority. I was a priority. And we have so many others out there that are a priority. And so let us never, let that speak to us today, especially as believers, right? Once again, give us a burden to see those far from you, God, like you see them, right? Let's, let's, let us never get so busy and so distracted or so numb that the priority of every lost sheep becomes insignificant to us because they're never insignificant to our heavenly father. And in this parable, while the example of leaving the 99 sheep may seem reckless, we are reminded that this one lost sheep was valuable to the shepherd. And just like each of us are so valuable to our heavenly father. Don't forget that the price that was paid for you and for me and for every one. The Lord gave up his one and only son, and Jesus paid that ultimate price, that high price for you, for me, for every single one. Is that one valuable? Absolutely. Should the one be a priority? Absolutely. Let us never lose sight of that, ever. 
All are equally loved, but the lost are the priority. Number two, you are never lost in the crowd, right? There there can be times when we feel lost in the crowd. We can feel insignificant, but I, I love this. I love that God sees each of us individually, right? And that all of us matter to him. I love that every individual matters to God. God sees you this morning. Those of you joining us online, you may feel lonely and alone, but God sees you, you're not alone, right? Nacogdoches campus, same to you. You are never alone. God sees you where you are. It amazes me that even in, in, the, in the world we live in with the advancements of technology and the addition of social media and all these different things over the last 10, 15, 20 years and how it's made our world smaller, you would think that people would be less lonely and yet people are more lonely than they've ever, ever been before. And then you add on top of that a global pandemic, right? Where everything has to be completely shut down and forcing everyone into isolation just makes it even harder. People feel lost in the crowd today. But guess what? You're the one. You're the one, you're not insignificant. In fact, the God of the cosmos, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he loves you, he sees you, he's searching for you, and he cares for you. Even though we may feel insignificant at times, as if we don't matter, let me remind you today that you matter to God. Just as the one sheep mattered to the shepherd, you matter to the great shepherd, our heavenly father. You're never lost in the crowd. Number three, The investment of reaching the one is always worth it, guys. Man, it's always, always worth it. I wanna share a picture with you this morning up here on the screen. This lady right here, I'm pretty sure nobody in this room would recognize her. Raise your hand if you recognize her. I don't think anybody does. And um, she may mean nothing to you because you don't know who she is. You don't recognize her, she doesn't mean anything to you but she means a whole lot to me and my parents. Her name is Paula Davis, and her husband, his name is John Davis. And many of you, I've told this story before, even shared it on stage, the, the story of my adoption. Again, all planned before I was born. And my, my birth mom, her name is Cheryl, she was a park ranger in Yosemite National Park. And she uh, served there, worked there, and when she became pregnant with me, uh, she was pretty desperate. She didn't know what to do. It was a pretty big detour in her life, and, and she was struggling. It was a tough time. Um, my birth father basically walked out on her. He was actually married. He was no help to her, whatever. In fact, he tried to encourage her to terminate the pregnancy along with some other people trying to do that. So glad that, they did, that she didn't do that because I would not be here today if she did. So thankful for that. And the cool thing is, though, is that Paula and her husband, John, they were pastors of this cute little church down in Yosemite National Park in the valley. You can see pictures of it, it's super beautiful. It's just, it's just awesome. And they were the pastors of that church. And so she turned to them during this season of her life that was so challenging. And um, every night that my birth mom was pregnant, every night for nine months, she would set a place at the table for my mom. Isn't that cool? She would pull up a chair like this and she would set a, a place at the table and a chair for Cheryl. And most nights she would join them for dinner just to talk and they would listen to her and they would counsel her 
and they would share the love of Jesus and they would just be Jesus with skin on to my mom, to my birth mom. And it was, a, it was an investment. You might say, wow, every night for nine months? Yep, every night for nine months. And I am so grateful for Paula Davis and John Davis and the investment that they made because I wouldn't know this beautiful couple here as my parents. They wouldn't have adopted me. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their investment. So was that investment worth it? Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for that. Amen. And you know, she's, she actually just passed away in the last couple weeks and they just had a service, a memorial service funeral for her just yesterday. And they actually, her husband did the funeral and my birth mom was there and her husband, John, is actually from Beaumont. That's how this whole thing got connected. He knew my parents' pastor in Beaumont, and that's how I ended up in Beaumont, Texas, and John knew this couple, and it's just beautiful how God worked it all out. And, um, but yesterday, they celebrated her life. She, she, she passed away from a, a lung, a struggle with a lung disease that she had had, and my birth mom was there at the funeral, and, um, but so thankful for her. So thankful for the investment. And here's the thing, guys. Was the investment in you worth it? Yes, absolutely. The investment in me has been worth it. And I just want to challenge you guys. I pray that this example can be a great reminder to all of us that the investment is always, always worth it. So those of you that are believers, don't give up praying. Don't stop praying for that loved one. Don't stop praying for that, for that individual Right? Don't, don't stop uh, setting a place at the table for the one. Don't stop having coffee with that individual. Don't stop having conversations. Don't stop listening. Don't stop, keep, just keep on interceding for them on their behalf. Please, because it's worth it. It's always, always worth it. My question to us is who is your one? Who is your one? In fact, at the bottom of your notes, I asked that question. I put a line there. You're not going to have to turn that in as you leave today. That's just for you. You don't even have to put a name there. But I, I pray that as I'm saying that, that God is bringing pictures and faces to your mind of people that are the one. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Just keep praying for them. Keep investing because it's always worth it. Number four, God reserves heaven's loudest noise for when the one who is lost is found. Man, this is awesome, right? Love it that, uh, think about it. I mean, heaven is unimaginable, right? I mean, we can try to imagine what heaven is like, and the scriptures talk a little bit about it, but we just can't. It's just unimaginable. But I have an idea that it's going to be pretty stinking amazing, more amazing than anything we have ever experienced in our life. And to know that as amazing as it is, what is the loudest noise reserved for? It's for you and me when, we, when we're the one. It's for the one. It's for the lost. It's for those that don't know Jesus yet. And when they say yes to Jesus, that place goes bananas. That place goes crazy. And there's a party that's thrown for the one. It was thrown for you. It was thrown for me. And all the ones that will make that decision for Christ. So what do you reserve your loudest noise for? Is it when the paycheck hits the bank account? Is that, is that your biggest praise? Is it when the child tax credit hits the bank account, <laughs> right? Uh, is it when your favorite team throws that long touchdown pass to win the game? Those are all great, but let's reserve our loudest noise and our loudest celebration, just like heaven, for those who were lost who become found because of Jesus 
and they say yes to Jesus. Amen? I want to pray with you guys this morning. I ask that you close your eyes, bow your heads. And uh, two things I want to pray for. Number one, I want to pray for those of you in the room that you're like, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm the one. Maybe you've realized real quickly that I'm the one. I, I, I'm coming to church, or maybe it's my first time or first time in a long time, and I just have realized that, you know what, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to ask Jesus to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and for me to make him number one. And we wanna give you that opportunity. Maybe, maybe you did that a long time ago, but in recent years or whatever, because of circumstances or choices or whatever, you've walked away from that relationship with Jesus and you're like, you know what? I wanna make this right and I wanna recommit my life to Jesus. We wanna give you that opportunity too in just a second. But I also wanna pray for those of you that are following Jesus. You're not perfect, none of us are, but you have a relationship with Jesus. Who is the one? And would you make a commitment today to keep praying for them? Keep investing in them. Keep, keep talking to them. Keep those lines of communication. Well, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want anything to do with me. I know. I, I've been in experiences like that. Just keep those open lines of communication open. Keep sending a text every week saying, hey, I'm thinking of you and I love you. Keep investing. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, first and foremost, if you want to make a decision to follow Christ today, if you're like, you know what, it's time I've been kind of trying to do things on my own, and it's time that I, I let God lead the way. If that's you, would you be brave enough to raise your hand so we can pray for you this morning? Awesome, awesome, love it. Maybe you're here, like I said, and you made a commitment years ago, but you've kind of walked away from that, and you're like, you know what, I need to make things right. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? Amen, that's awesome. Let's pray together this morning. God, <laughs> thank you for this example. God, thank you that you have left the 99 to go and find us, the one. And God, there's many in here this room this morning, God, that have said for the first time, I'm the one. And God, I want you to be a part of my life. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would just forgive us of our sins. God, that they would verbalize that right now, right where they're sitting. You know, just, just saying, Jesus, you can have my life. God, forgive me for the sins that I've committed against you. I'm ready to make you number one in my life. Thank you for leaving the 99. Thank you for not quitting on me. Thank you for not giving up on me. And God, I love that picture of what we read. God, you're not there as some great judge up in the sky with your arms crossed looking down at us like we've done something wrong. No, you're that shepherd who joyfully picks us up, Lord, and puts us on your shoulders and lovingly and care, cares for us and walks with us. That's what you're doing this morning through salvation for so many. And recommitments this morning, God, thank you for that. Thank you that you're that God that loves us more than we could ever imagine or dream. And God, for the rest of us, God, for those of us who follow you, God, bring to mind right now the one. Who is that family member? Who is that coworker? Who is that neighbor? Who is it, God? And they're the one that I've got to continue to invest in. Maybe some are tired today. Maybe some are hurt today from the investment. But God, let us not stop. Let us not quit investing because it's always, always worth it. We need more Paula Davises in this world, God. Let us not get too weary of that, too tired of that, God. Help us, Lord. 
we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.